Will, thank you. Yeah. So let's, uh, okay. Okay. Uh, go ahead and sit down. I, uh, you've been standing a while. I'll read scripture in a minute. I'm going to chat just, uh, just briefly and then uh, read some scripture. Uh, I meant to bring the water up. I'm afraid I'm going to need that. Maybe. At least want to have it close by. And uh, the. Sorry. Uh, but anyhow, I'm uh, going to talk to you. I want to thank you again for coming. Uh, appreciate you being here. Uh, testimony to. God and this kind of fundamentalism, the leadership of Brother Fugit and uh, the college here and the church. Uh, one of the things about this ministry is it's very copyable. Uh, what you see here, you can go back and do. And uh, again, I appreciate Brother Fugit and his leadership. I appreciate those of you coming from around the country, around the, this part of the country. Most of your churches, as you were standing up this morning and uh, giving your list, and so all but four or five, I think my wife and I have been to. Uh, generally on tour this summer and uh, or summers uh, over the last four or five years. vast majority of them I've preached in and uh, appreciate you being here. It's good to see you. Looking forward to seeing you this summer or next or something as we can get things worked out. Looking forward to many of you coming back in the fall uh, for college. Why don't you, uh, let me get my wife to stand next. I want to uh, appreciate her. You get to see Miss Fugit up here at the keyboard, but she's in the back. It'll be uh, 42 years this summer that we've been traveling together, and uh, appreciate her and a godly, sweet wife and a, a blessing and a help in the ministry. Uh, turn your Bibles. You can go ahead and stay seated. I'm, I'm glad, you, you know, commonly if I'm preaching out someplace, often I ask you to stand to read the Bible. I like to say at least I want to make sure you're awake at the beginning of the message. And uh, try, But here you've been up and down and up and down, so I read my Bible sitting down this morning. You know, I don't think you have to stand up to read it. Uh, anyhow, John chapter 4, I didn't give you the reference yet, did I? Just chatting away there. Jesus, uh, John chapter 4, I'm going to read just two verses here and other verses as we go through the message. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Father, I pray that you'd bless this time tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak to hearts and uh, be a help to people. Help these young people to focus on eternal values and things that would matter, and to use their life for your sake in the kingdom. Help them to realize they'll never regret serving you. Pray that you'd bless in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know. I've, this is, I guess, our fourth year or whatever to have one of these. And I've preached the Thursday night, first message Thursday night. And generally, I've preached a pretty solid message uh, tonight. And I kind of want to do that again. But tonight, I think I'm going to testify more than anything. I uh, want to challenge us a little bit and uh, just get you to think some. And looking forward to hearing Brother Fugit bringing the, close, the closing message for the day uh, later on, of course, then the closing message for the conference tomorrow. Uh, but anyhow, as you read John 4, verses 34 and 35, uh, yeah, there's a challenge there. 
Uh, lift up your eyes, look in the field, they're white already unto harvest. Uh, normally, you harvest the grain when it's golden. When it's white, it's almost too late. And uh, I don't know, Jesus was looking out there, perhaps also in the setting, of course, you had the uh, Samaritan woman bringing the folks out from Samaria, you know, to uh, see him. The lady had been saved, bringing her friends out to see Jesus. And maybe it was all the white turbans, somebody spe- speculated, of the men coming out there. And he said, man, look at the field, they're white to harvest now. Uh, let's go get them. But uh, in any case, the fields are white unto harvest. Uh, young men, especially, God didn't put you here on earth to make money. That isn't the goal of your life. God put you here on earth to finish His work. The fields are white. They're past golden. They're going to rot soon. We need to get the, we need to get the harvest in. And, uh, I have a, I have a burden. I want my life to count for God. I want to make a difference in this country. I want to make it. I want to continue using my life to promote old time fundamentalism, King James Bible and soul winning and separation. Everything that Brother Fugit preached about last night, being a fundamentalist. And, uh, you know, that's what we need. No, I mean, I'm not against money. I have some and uh, and that's a blessing. You know, and, and you, uh, you, you've got to have some. But that isn't the goal of your life to say, I want to be here so I can make money. Uh, man, the fields are white already unto harvest. And uh, as I, uh, given somewhat of a testimony of my life, I was reared in a middle class home, upper middle class maybe, not wealthy, but you know, we lived comfortably. Uh, 50s, 60s, and so on, and uh, got admitted, uh, went off to Princeton University and got a full scholarship in there and went four years, majored in math, wrote my senior thesis on representations of crystallographic groups. Boy, was that exciting. And, uh, but anyhow, and, uh, but then at some point in there, I started reading my Bible and thinking about it and hearing preaching and getting challenged, and I thought, I want to make my life count for God. I mean, life isn't about making money. It's not about seeing what I can do. I mean, there are people lost and going to hell. I looked at the mission field, and we had emphasis on the mission fields, and, and, and uh, thinking, man, I want to go someplace and preach the gospel and win souls where they're not winning them and uh, get something done for God. Told my wife when we were dating, and uh, you know, whatever words you want to use, court, dating, courting, whatever, and uh, anyhow, but as we were... Working, dating, working towards uh, marriage and thinking about it. I said, look, I think God's leading me to the mission field. Uh, Brother Fugit referenced that, I think, a little bit this morning. But, I, you know, this is what I said. I think God's leading me to the mission field. I think we may wind up in the upper Amazon of Brazil. Maybe living in a dirt house with a mud floor. I don't know. Now, if that ain't okay with you, we need to settle that now. And she said, oh, Jim. We were dating. She called me Jim. She wasn't very formal. And uh, she, oh, Jim, anywhere just to be with you. <laughs> and, you, you know, you joke, but that's, that's what she said. We've never lived in a dirt house. I don't know that she's ever even walked into one. We have a lovely home. But you got to be ready. You ought to be ready to do what God wants you to do. I look at my life and I say, man, I don't know that I can find a time in my life where God spoke to me and definitely called me into the ministry. 
I mean, pretty much I saw the need and I volunteered. I saw the value of eternity and the pointlessness of what we have here. And I volunteered. I saw that all God had done for me and what I owe him, the debt I can never repay. And I volunteered. I said, man, I don't want to spend my life out there doing something else. I want to make my life count for eternity. This life's going to last 70 years or so. By reason of strength, maybe 80, maybe 90. Eternity's going to last forever. People are dying going, hell, I, I mean, basically, I volunteered. So, Brother Jordan I don't know if you should be up there. I don't know either. But I volunteered. If you read John R. Rice's testimony, that's what happened to him. said, I led this fellow to Christ at the Pacific Garden Mission. I read it in his books. Led this fellow to Christ at Pacific while I was teaching English at the University of Chicago. Went down to the Pacific Garden Mission one night, led a man to Christ. Came back the next night, cleaned up. Changed life. And I said, God, this is a lot better than teaching English. I think I'll just keep doing this till you stop me. That's his call to preach. Is that wasn't much of a call. God sure used him. I spent seven years helping Brother Trever start Golden State Baptist College. And you ask him his testimony. He volunteered. That's his testimony. I've heard it again and again. 2,500 or so in church. The last I knew, several hundred in the Bible. I guess he's doing okay. So well, I just don't know if that's right. Well, I'm not sure either. But I, I, on the other hand, uh, turn your Bibles if you still have them handy. Isaiah chapter 6. That's what happened to Isaiah. Someplace I marked that in here. Too many paper clips. It's before Hosea. There it is. Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. I mean, it's like being in grade, you mean being in grade school and the teacher says, who, know, who wants to be the leader this week? And you said, ooh, 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 pick me. Right? That's what Isaiah did. God said, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah said, ooh, 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 Lord, pick me, pick me, pick me. I mean, isn't that what it says? I heard the voice, and I said, here am I, Lord, send me. And he volunteered. And after he volunteered, in verse 9, and he, that's God, said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, understand not. See, he got his commission. If you got the Schofield note there, he called it Isaiah's commission or something like that. That came after he volunteered. Now, I praise God. You know, you other men will say, no, God spoke to my heart a certain time here, put a call on me, and maybe if for the pastorate or something there, there's a call where, uh, you know, God specially moves in a certain way, and, uh, I'm, you know, that's fine. Not against, I mean, you know, that, I'm not, that happens. But I also say sometimes people volunteer. <laughs> it's okay to want to be a preacher as far as that goes. First Timothy 3 says, if any man desire the work of a bishop, he desireth a good thing. I guess it's okay to desire it and want to be a preacher, huh? It's a good thing, according to Paul writing in First Timothy there, inspiration, I mean, you know. 
But, uh, you know, basically, anyhow, that's my testimony. I volunteered like others have, like Isaiah did. And God has blessed my life. I'm glad I'm in the ministry. I, I made a list a while back. Reasons I'm glad I'm in the ministry. I'm pretty much just going to read these to you. I can focus my attention on serving God. I don't have to go out in a secular job. I'm, in a, I'm glad I'm in a ministry because I can focus my attention on serving God. I can help people. A lot of them, most days, many days at least, by the time I, 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 somebody's been in the office with a problem, a burden, sometimes discipline, sometimes advice, sometimes social, sometimes, you know, home situations. And by the time they leave, I feel like, I think I helped them. I think God used me to help that individual. That's a blessing. And, uh, you know, I can help people. I can make a difference for eternity. I love working with the college students. I love, and one of the exciting things about traveling around is my wife and I have done more in the last five years than we ever have. And uh, it's getting out there and seeing and meeting men where, you know, I feel like, hey, I had a part in investing in them 10, 15, 20 years ago. And now they're serving God out there today. Boy, that's a, that's a blessing. I enjoy working in a bus ministry. My wife and I visit on a bus route just about every weekend we're in Lexington. I'm not quite, and I don't, I mean, we go out ourselves. We knock on the doors on the bus route. We send the college students out and the bus get and all that. But we visit on the routes too. We love the bus kids. I say sometimes my wife and I have spent our years together caring for our three kids, our college kids, and our bus kids. We love all three groups. We've let God take care of us. God's done a marvelous job. Better than we have. But I can make a difference for eternity. I love being in the ministry because I can work with good people. Good atmosphere, good boss. I don't get cussed off out by my boss hardly ever. <laughs> don't have to listen to rock music. Well, maybe I go into brother. But no, don't have to listen to rock music. Don't have bad pictures. It's a great place to work. I mean, anyhow, it keeps me, work being in ministry helps keep me from stumbling. It gives me joy. It brings honor from people I care about. I'm being paid to do what I would do anyhow. I mean, besides everything else, I get a paycheck. That's wonderful. Remember the first time I, somebody gave me $50, I was probably 20, 25, 20, 22, 23 years old for going out preaching somewhere. I, just, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was just so excited about getting to preach. Yeah. And they gave me a $50 bill or a check or something. I thought, wow, this is amazing. But uh, anyhow, I got a good family. Get to work with your family. Ministry allows you some of those freedoms. Helps me to concentrate on spiritual values, which helps me be spiritual. Brings me the blessings of God. Somebody says, well, I need to pay my bills. So do I. (laughs) I get a paycheck. My bills are paid. Your bill's paid? Yeah. I mean, I'm glad I'm in the ministry. 
some one of the things we're facing, I think, so more and more, it seems like, and I, again, I've been at this a long time, been in the ministry, full-time ministry for 44 years now. Started in the fall of 69 when I graduated from Princeton, went down to Tennessee Temple. Dr. Lee Robertson was uh, running that then totally different school than it is today. Totally different. But it was about the only place to go in 69. Even Hiles Anderson didn't exist. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to get into a local church, solid Bible curriculum, that was a place to go. Taught in the college, went through the seminary, and... Uh, I don't know where I, how I got that. Fit. But anyhow, uh, but I've been at this 44 years. Seems like more and more young people feel like, well, I, I can't go into ministry because I got to make money. It, it seems like money is a bigger and bigger problem. You know, I, I don't want to go into ministry. I, I got to have money for what? To be honest with you, money will never make you happy. Never will. But Brad brought us to the fellow that's reading the quiz questions up here. Was out and preached in college chapel the other day. But Brad, where are you? Are you in here or out doing something else? Is it, where are you? Wave at me if you're here. In the back. I don't know, 28, 30 years old, something like that. Sweet wife. I think two. Two children. Two girls and a boy, three children. Own a nice... Three-bedroom house, nothing fancy. It's a house. I mean, they and the bank own it. Decent, you know, got a car, good wife, sweet marriage, happy. And I'm thinking, what else could you want in life? I mean, I looked at him, and I didn't know it when he was on. I was just saying this after he preached. I said, my guess is your bills are paid. He said, oh, yeah. Any credit card debt? Nope. He doesn't make a He's great at graphic design, that kind of thing. Could make double, I'm sure, out in the world what he's making here. But his bills are paid. God has a way of doing it. Your problem isn't. A lack of money, your problem is discontentment with what you have. Say, well, I'd like a bigger house than he has. Maybe. Why? It'll make you any happier. Look, if your problem in general, people's problem isn't a lack of money. Their problem is discontentment. And you wind up spending money you don't have, personal finance people through the years, to buy things you don't need. That aren't going to make you happy anyhow. I mean, you get into, you know, I'll get a job that pays more. Somebody says that doesn't solve your problems. It won't solve your discontentment with what you have. Now, David and Laurel Bobbitt, sweet young, I mean, brother David uh, does, did all the decorations, does our graphic design at the college, a great fellow, bus captain, been on the same route five years or so. Married a year, married not quite a year. But you look at them and they're obviously happy. And they sit over there next to each other in chapel every day. She's got a hold of his arm. They both got a big smile on their face. They don't have anything fancy. Live in a little apartment out at the college. Bills paid. At least most of them. I think all of them probably. 
live, live on a budget. But what else would you want? Be like Elvis Presley and die at the king and die at 42 in a mansion. Drug overdose. Heard Nancy Sinatra say once on a television thing, Elvis told her, you know, Nancy, maybe I'd have been better off if I had just stayed in the church. And you know what? He would have been. Probably would have had a good marriage. Probably instead of being divorced and alone, not knowing who his friends were. 42 years of age, the king died. The world doesn't have what you want. But they have anything I want. I mean, I like the chorus further along. We'll understand, you know, we'll know all about it. We'll understand why. But parts of that song about, oh, how envious we are of people out in the world when they have so much and we have. The world doesn't have anything I want. I, I don't. There's nothing out there that. So I'd like a bigger car. Somebody, oh, if I could just have that car. If I were driving that car, would I enjoy it? Sure. But you know what? I enjoy the car I've got. I mean, money is not going to solve your problems. Now, all of us live better than the President of the United States lived 200 years ago. We've got electricity. Hot and cold running water, cell phones and iPads, and but anyhow. Somebody says, well, I'm not going into the ministry because of money. That's, I think that sounds like love of money, 1 Timothy 6.10. That's not a good thing. Love of money is the root of all evil. Cause you to err from the faith, bring many sorrows, leads to many foolish and hurtful lusts. That's 1 Timothy 6 there. Love of money is not a good thing. It'll lead to destruction and perdition and ruin you. Led to Ananias and Sapphira's death. Their problem wasn't that they didn't give enough. Problem was they were lying about what they were doing and wanted to hang on to some of it and wanted people to think they were better than they were. Besides all that, riches are uncertain. First Timothy 6, verse, I think, 13 there. Don't trust in uncertain riches. They're here today, gone tomorrow. All the million, stock market crash back in the 30s. All the millionaires jumping out of windows. Hey, it's just money. Riches make themselves wings and fly away. Proverbs 23.5. God gives what matters. Proverbs 3.16. Length of days is in her right hand. That's wisdom. And her left hand, riches and honor. Proverbs 8.18, riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. Proverbs 11.4, riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. Proverbs 11.28, he that trusts in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Why would you trust in uncertain riches? Proverbs 13.7, there is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Proverbs 22.4, by humility and fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Proverbs 22.16, he that oppresses the poor to increase his riches, 
and he that giveth to the rich shall surely come to want. Proverbs 23, 5. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Hey, I mean, why would you set your eyes and make your goal to have that car? That car? I mean, what a shallow life. It's not even real. It's not eternal. Uh, you know, you can't buy the gift of God with money. God gives you what you need. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your riches, all your needs through Christ after they sacrifice. Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Hey, if you're a sheep and Bible calls a sheep, if you're a sheep, how well you live depends on who your shepherd is. Right? I mean... As a sheep, or the quality of my, they have we have horses all over around here. They've had a story on the news the last uh, week or so about some lady that had uh, six horses and eight dogs and ten cats and twenty chickens die or something like that die on her farm. She owned the farm. They didn't have very good life. She's facing all kinds of charges and so on. You got other farms. Horses live better than we do. <laughs> The old whirlpools for them, right? People drive by. We'll have friends come in and visit. Boy, that's a big house over there. That sure looks fancy. No, that's a barn. (laughs) How come some horses live well and some horses don't? How come, according to who owns them? How come some sheep live well, some sheep don't, according to who the shepherd is? The Lord is my shepherd. I have best one. I shall not want. He's going to take care of your needs. God's going to give you what you need. You know, I, it really doesn't matter, does it? I mean, how big your house is or whatever. I mean, what I'd like out of life is a good marriage and a nice family. I mean, just talking here on earth. An okay place to live. A job I enjoy. I mean... Isn't that more important than anything else? Proverbs uh, 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow to it. I like that verse. God's God's the one who controls everything. I mean, is there a God? And if there is, then it's all up to him. If you read the Bible much at all, and I, I'm, you know, we're kind of assuming that this group of teenagers here, that you guys are in church, that you are reading your, if you're not reading your Bible, you ought to start somewhere. But if you read your Bible at all, you can't get away from the fact that God is the one that gives blessing. God decides how things turn out. It's pretty much all up to Him. And if I do right and obey Him, He blesses. And when I do wrong and I disobey, he judges. I mean, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to go to seminary or be you know, 65 years old or anything else. Figure that out. You figure that out in first grade. I mean, it's, it's, it's so basic. And why do we go everywhere else trying to find blessings for our life? 
read Psalm three or Proverbs three a while back and uh, listed a bunch of blessings. Uh, God gives a long life, verse two and sixteen, Proverbs three. God gives health, verse eight. God gives plenty, verses ten and sixteen. God gives honor, verse sixteen. Honor from man and honor from God. God gives direction, verses six and twenty-three. God gives wisdom. God gives peace, verses 17 and 24. God gives joy and pleasantness, verses 17 and 18. God gives safety, verses 23 and 26. God keeps me from sin, verse 23. God gives a full soul. Two riches and blessing come not from money, but by, from love, by loving God and serving Him and serving Him by serving others. That's how you get blessings on your life. So he says, oh, that's good. So if I just be a Christian and I follow and I do like that, then I'm just, I'm not going to have any problems. No, you'll have problems and there'll be costs. But praise God, when I have problems in my life, I can go to God. You know, if I go down and visit my grandkids in the hospital and, hey, I go with God. And you know what? You walk by a bunch of other people on the way down that room that are in the hospital. I mean, Christians aren't the only ones who get sick or whose car breaks down or everything. You know, I mean, blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow to it. Sometimes we get mixed up on what it means to be blessed by God. You know, you think, oh, I got a raise, that's a blessing. Somebody gave me a new car, that's a blessing. I got a good love offering, that's a blessing. I got, you know, all God's blessings are not financial. They're not physical. And, you know, today, my wife and I, I mean, financially, God has blessed us. Live in a lovely house. Have our needs met. But I didn't get in the ministry to have a nice house. Didn't get in the ministry to, and I'm not going to leave the ministry if I lose the house. As far as that goes, none of us know where we're going to wind up anyhow. Who knows what kind of persecution's coming? I don't know. But I made up my mind I'm going to stand for this book. I'm going to stand for God and righteousness and soul winning and separation and right and wrong. And preach at homosexualities and abomination and, I mean, just on and on. And who knows where that will lead us someday. I know at some point I'm going to wind up in heaven. And I really don't care what people tell me along the way. I'm looking forward to hearing him say, well done. That's what matters. A blessed life, I wrote a definition. I don't know if this is scholarly or not. A blessed life is a a life that brings joy in this world and in heaven. Do not confuse, I like this statement it's of mine, don't confuse the nice things God gives you to enjoy with the blessing of, with his blessing on your life. Oh, I got a new car. That was a real blessing of God. God gave you the new car to enjoy it. That's nice. But it's not the same thing as him blessing your life. Oh, yeah. God bless you. I mean... Been out and you're getting preachers. Some of you don't have financially. And you're doing without. Say, well, God isn't blessing your life. No, a blessed life is a life that brings joy in this world and in heaven. And if you're looking forward to getting blessing in heaven, that'll give you joy here. 
The nice things God gives you to enjoy aren't the same thing as this blessing on your life. Certainly, we would say that Paul was blessed by God, wouldn't we? The Apostle Paul. I mean, God blessed any man his preaching, his ministry. Boy, the Apostle Paul had the blessing of God on his life. But if you read 2 Corinthians 11, he had shipwrecks. He wound up in jail. He was beaten. He had a thorn in the flesh that hurt him, and he tried to get rid of it, and he couldn't. And he wound up being martyred eventually. So how'd that work out? God didn't bless his ministry. Did No, God blessed his ministry tremendously. But the nice things that God gives you to enjoy are not the same thing as his blessing on your life. And you say, well, but what if I decide and I yield my life to God and I surrender to him, volunteer to serve him, and I wind up like the Apostle Paul? I, you'll sure be glad when you get to heaven. And in between, you'll have the joy knowing, hey, had some jailers saved. Like Pastor Richard this morning. God used me. They can't take away my fellowship with him. On the other hand, Solomon had everything this world could give, but he was miserable. Right? Say, so, oh, God sure blessed Solomon's life. He was awfully rich. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't follow Bible principles and he didn't have God's, he didn't have any joy. Read Ecclesiastes. Eventually, he decided at the end of his life that the purpose of life was to serve God. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. Joseph's life was blessed by God while he was in prison as well as while he was in the palace. I think Joseph basically said, God, I don't care how you want to direct my life, how you want to use me, where you want to put me. I just want to do your will. I want to follow you. Doesn't matter to me. Was Joseph blessed by God when he was in prison? Huh? Anybody awake? Yeah. But he didn't have, any, didn't have anything very nice. People lied about him. He was doing without. Eating prison food. Was his life. Oh yeah, but God turned around, blessed him, put him in. A, God blessed him all the way through. How big your house or car is doesn't have anything to do with the blessing of God on your life. Now, learn to enjoy what you have. Be content with it. Decide that in the purpose of life. Joseph's life was blessed by God all the way through. John the Baptist was blessed by God, but he wound up being beheaded. God delivered Peter out of prison in Acts chapter 12. But James, the brother of John, was martyred in Acts chapter 12. I don't know. (laughs) Peter wound up being martyred later. Oops, God took his blessing away. He wound up being martyred after all. No. A life that's blessed by God is a life that is going to bring you joy here and joy and reward in heaven. It doesn't have anything to do with how expensive your suit is or how big your house is. That isn't the point of life. And some of you feel like, well, I don't want to go into ministry. I don't want to go to Bible college. I'll never have anything real nice. You may have, you may never have anything real nice, or you may. I don't know. As far as that goes, some of these guys that, you know, have surrendered to be millionaires. You know, God, you know, Brother Young, God's called me to be the next Russell Anderson. You know, I don't say it to him, but I want to say it to him. Oh, you're surrendering to be a millionaire. God bless you. 
I don't meet many of them that are on the way. It's not going so well for them. I don't know. God, you know, God has used Russell Anderson the way he's used him, and I mean, God's hands all over his life. Good friends talk to him regularly. Often God gives us nice things to enjoy because he loves us. Sometimes God gives us heartache because he loves us. Certainly, I don't think God's going to give you nice things to enjoy until you get to the point they aren't what's important to you. And maybe even when they're not what's important to you, you still don't get them. And at that point, who cares? Most of us are so earthly-minded, we can't see heavenly blessings. What we have here is but for a moment. It won't last. What we have there is eternal. A tent or a cottage, why should I care? They're building a mansion for me over there. That's what we sing. We don't mean it much, but we sing it. We've got nice things. Do we enjoy it? Yes. Was that our goal of our life when we got into ministry? Absolutely not. Is that what's important to us? No. I I don't know how your life's going to turn out if you wind up in the ministry. As far as that goes, I don't know how your life's going to turn out if you don't go into ministry. Some of you decide, well, I'm not going to ministry. I've got to go get more money. <laughs> it's not going to work out financially as well for you as you think. I don't know. But I do know I want God's will for my life. And I decided at some point when I heard John R. Rice preach on prayer and Jack Howes preach on the filling of the Holy Spirit and John R. Rice the same and that kind of thing and the way God used them, I thought that's what I want for my life. And I haven't done a real good job of pursuing it, but I knew that's what I wanted. I thought about where can God use me. I heard about cities of 100,000 and so on in Brazil with no Baptist church and thought maybe that's where God wants me. I mean, when I was your age and older, early 20s, I had no idea what my life was going to be. I couldn't have said at 21 years of age when I graduated, going down to Tennessee Temple, why are you coming? Oh, I've surrendered to be a Bible college vice president. I'm going to be in on the ground floor. I've surrendered to be in on the ground floor of building three Bible colleges in this country. And that's what got, I mean, I didn't have a clue. And it'll be amazing to you what God leads and guides and directs in your life. And how he'll fit the parts together, and I'm teaching math again. He'll fit the parts together and bring the different things in. It's exciting to serve him and watch him lead and direct. Live for God and he'll bless you is very, 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 very true. But that doesn't mean you're always going to have good health and plenty of money and no heartaches. But it means you'll have the joy in your soul now of knowing you did right, knowing you served God and watching him use you. It means you'll have the joy in heaven someday for what you did for God here. And it means that someday in heaven we'll have a crown to cast at his feet. And the joy here in him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. What else do you want in life? My dad, I, my, my dad wasn't saved most of my life. He was a good man, good dad, character, moral. Old-time southern preachers would say he lived a better Christian life than most Christians. I mean, I know you can't live a Christian life if you're not, but, you know, I mean, he was a good man. Great dad. 
I miss it. We wasn't saved. Didn't understand anything about me going into the ministry and why I was doing that. Broke his heart. Eventually, uh, when we when he retired, we were good to him. My wife and I were. My, and bless God, my wife and the way she treated my dad and especially my mother. They retired. They moved down to be near us. We had our first baby, a baby girl, 1973. Dad and mother were there and were visiting. We had a little two-room apartment we were living in in the Mansard Apartments in Griffith. And uh, they were there. Dad and mother stayed with uh, Marilyn and uh, the, our baby daughter, Sandra. Dad and I went down to Burger King to get a cup of coffee. Around the corner there on Ridge Road. Came back and pulled into the park, parking lot and... Dad was talking with me, and I mean, I wasn't making, <laughs> wasn't making much money at all, had no summer job. But I mean, hey, we were serving God. He said, are you saving money for a new car? He'd always paid cash for his. I said, no. He said, what are you going to do when this one wears out? I said, boy, I don't know. guess I'll buy one on payments like most of the rest of the world does. He thought a minute, unsaved, and he said, well, you've got a wife that loves you, a healthy baby girl, and a job you enjoy. Maybe you're not doing too bad. What else do you want in life? That's what he said when he was unsaved. Uh Nine years after that, June 16th, 1982, Brother Hiles drove out to his house and personally led him to Christ. We had his funeral October 16th, 1982. He's in heaven tonight. What else do you want in life other than the will of God? There's nothing any better than that. Decide you're going to serve him and live for him. Father, I pray these young people. Pray that something that was said tonight, Holy Spirit, you'd apply to lives. There's nothing like serving Jesus. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. May these 12, 14, 16, 18-year-olds have the joy at 65 of standing and preaching about the goodness of God in their life. Thank you. We know that if you tarry, And if we serve you, that's the joy they'll have. In Jesus' name, amen.